It is a joy to stand here today. Uh, This is not something that I take lightly to stand behind this pulpit and share God's Word. I want to thank Mark Bethay, Mark Bethay, for asking me to speak today. Uh, Mark didn't have to do that. In fact, I encouraged him to go ahead and preach today, but he said, no, no, it's a special day in your family's life, and you should be the one to share today. It's been a joy to serve with Mark for over three years as as he was in an associate role, and now as we have moved him into the senior pastor role, let me just say, Mark, what a joy it is to continue to serve with you. Uh, I know I speak for everyone on our staff. We love you tremendously, and our senior adults love you, and our church as a whole love you. So thank you for your leadership during these days. Would you help me say thanks to Mark, please? God bless you. Thank you. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. Which do you find more difficult, to love your enemies or to love your neighbors? (laughs) You know, when we look at Jesus's teachings about loving our enemies, then we can say, absolutely, that is a difficult thing to do, but it is certainly what the Lord said But if we're brutally honest with ourselves, we have to say that there are times in our lives when loving our neighbor is very difficult. Now, we commonly refer to our neighbor as someone who lives in our neighborhood, right? It's the person next door or right down the street. And maybe you've had a neighbor that was difficult to get along with, hard to love, Oh, maybe it was just something regarding their yard. They didn't keep the yard up to par like the rest of the neighborhood. Or maybe they allowed their fence row to grow up or rot and fall over in your yard. Or maybe they just kind of thumbed their nose at your homeowner's association and you just didn't know what to do about that neighbor. And loving them at that point in time was the furthest thing from your mind. Or sometimes we think about the word neighbor as being someone that works close to us, a work associate. Maybe it's someone that is in your office and they share a cubicle right across from you. And you try to have a good work ethic and keep focused on your job And you see them like a butterfly just going everywhere and taking care of personal business on company time. And you find that hard to love that person at that time. Well, my friends, let me tell you that when Jesus said, love your neighbor, his command goes far beyond social norms. In fact, would you look at your outline today? And I have here this opening statement, being a good neighbor can be costly. It can be very costly. It was costly for Jesus. Look at Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yes, being a good neighbor was costly to Jesus, and he laid down his life for us. In the Synoptic Gospels, 
Jesus uses parables as his main teaching tool. And so in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see him continually sharing parables or stories to get his message across to his hearers. Now, the word parable literally means to come alongside of for a comparison, to look beside each other. When Jesus shared a parable, it was like throwing a rock out into a pond. Oh, there was that moment of impact when the rock hit the water. There was this shock and awe that took place at that very moment. But then, over time, there was a ripple effect, and it began to grow and make its way through the crowd as they began to realize exactly what Jesus was saying. It was George Buttrick who coined the little definition of a parable as being an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's a definition that we learned perhaps even in Sunday school as adults. It's a good definition. He did a good job on that, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Interestingly, Jesus did not invent parables. While we see them used in the Old Testament, for instance, when When David commits his sin with Bathsheba, God sends Nathan the prophet to confront him. And Nathan comes in and talks with the king and tells him this story. That there's this poor man that has one little lamb. And then there's this rich man that has a whole flock of sheep. And the rich guy decides to throw a party for his friends. And so he goes over and steals the poor man's one little lamb brings it home and has his whole barbecue. David is livid and wants to know who it is. And Nathan points his bony finger at David and says, Thou art the man. A parable. Also, it's interesting to note that Jesus is the only person that uses parables in the New Testament itself. And today I want us to spend some time in the parable of the Good Samaritan, a a parable that is one of Jesus' most popular parables and is unique to Luke's gospel. It's the only time, only place we find it in the gospels. But before we dig into this this morning, let's spend a moment in prayer. Would you pray with me, please? Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity of coming into your presence on this particular day. We thank you for our senior adults and for the difference that they have made in all of our lives. Lord, we ask that during this time together that we will focus our hearts like a laser on your word and that we will stay attuned to your will in our lives. Father, I ask that you would just get me out of the way and that you would take my words and transform those into your words during this hour. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When you look at Luke chapter 10, we see first of all the exchange that takes place here. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. I'm reading from the New International Version. 
On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus' opponents were always trying to trap him, always trying to trick him, always trying to back him into a corner and then hoping that they would catch him in saying something incorrect or contrary to Scripture. This should have been a joyous occasion because 72 missionaries have just returned and sharing the great and wonderful things that the Lord has done while they were out sharing the good news. But we find here in chapter 10 this lawyer. This lawyer stands up and wants to challenge Jesus. Now, the lawyer is not a lawyer in the sense of the word as we use lawyer today, but rather he is an expert in the law of God. This guy knows Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. That is his area of expertise. And so he stands up to confront Jesus And he asked this rather odd question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now we know that that eternal life is not something that you inherit. It's not like a piece of property. It's not like your grandparents' farm that's passed down to you. God has no grandchildren. No, eternal life is a free gift of God that is given to those that repent repent of their sin and come to Jesus. And so he asked this rather odd question. Jesus sees right through this man and knows exactly what he's up to. And Jesus answers the man with a question, his question with a question. By the way, have you ever noticed how many times Jesus does that in the Gospels? He answers a question with a question. I can see it in my imagination that someone says, Jesus, why do you always answer a question with a question? And Jesus says, why not? (laughs) Well, he does just that in this situation. He says, well, you know the law. How do you read it? And he gives this man the opportunity to stand there and to show off in front of these people. And so I've placed on your outline the the passages from the Old Testament that he uses. He paraphrases a portion of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, the Shema passage. He paraphrases that. And then he adds in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, good job. That's right. Excellent. Excellent. But then the man wants 
to do more. When Jesus says, do this and you will live, the man just realizes, I haven't accomplished my goal. I haven't tricked Jesus like I thought I would. And instead of this being the end of the conversation at that point, the man wants to take it a step further and justify himself. And so he asks, and who is my neighbor? Oh, he should have never asked that question. You see, the Jews only thought of other Jews as their neighbors. They couldn't stand Gentiles. They couldn't stand Samaritans. And so you were only supposed to be a neighbor to a fellow Jew. And so the man asked this question of Jesus. You see, this man wants to talk theology with Jesus, but Jesus is about to give this man a lesson in first aid. And that moves us to point number two. The story, the story found beginning with verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He was pouring on oil and wine. And then he took the man and put him on his own donkey. He took him to an end and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Now, Jesus begins this story by saying that a man, an unidentified man, we don't know anything about the man, we're not told his ethnicity or anything else about him, that he is making his way down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when you went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, you literally went down. It was only 17 miles, but Jerusalem was at a very high elevation, and Jericho, a very low elevation. And in a period of 17 miles, you had 3,000 feet of altitude that you lost. So the Jericho road was a very winding, treacherous road, and there were many opportunities for robbers to abound in that setting. Lots of jagged rocks, desert terrain, crevices where they could hide and jump out and grab people along the way. When Jesus shared this story about this man being beaten up on the highway, all of his hearers could identify with it. Everyone that is hearing Jesus speak at this point has heard of someone being beaten up on this highway, or they know personally someone that has experienced this. 
The robbers grab him. We don't know how many robbers. It's plural. There may be two. There may be 20. But they grab the man. They beat him up. They take everything that the man has, including all of his clothing. And they leave him there with no cares whatsoever as they run away and disappear. Jesus shares that next a priest comes down this highway. Now, this priest is also, he shares with us, that he is going down from Jerusalem. So he is leaving Jerusalem and going down the road to Jericho. No doubt this priest has been to the temple. He has performed his priestly duties at the temple. And I can only imagine that this priest, as he's making his way down the Jericho Road, that he's just thinking in his mind about being back at the temple and all the wonderful things that God did at church that day. When suddenly he comes around a curve and he sees this bleeding, dying man, and he says, oh my goodness, these robbers are up to their dirty tricks again. What can we do about this? What can I do? Ah, oh, I know. I can develop a sermon about how to help people. Yeah, that's what I'll do. But just to make sure I don't contaminate myself, just to make sure I don't have to self-quarantine, we can identify with that, can't we? He moves over to the other side of the road and continues on his way. Then Jesus says that the next person that comes down the road is a Levite. Now, the Levite and the priest are similar but different. They're not brothers, but in Alabama, we would say they're cousins. <laughs> you see, the priest, they're both from the same tribe. But the priest is from a, a descendant from the lineage of Aaron. And so he's a priest, and he can perform priestly duties, such as offering sacrifices at the temple. But the Levite is from the same tribe, but not from the same lineage but he too is from the temple. He has been to the temple. He has performed his temple duties and he's making his way down the same road when he rounds that same curve and there is the bleeding, dying man. Oh my goodness, what a terrible fate has fallen this man. Why, we've got to do something about this. It's just not safe to travel on these highways anymore. We need better urban planning we need some better lighting out here. We need more law enforcement. That's how we would address these particular problems. And so the Levite, too, crosses over the road to avoid the man and continues on his way. Now, at this point in the story, the crowd is on the edge of their seats. Who will be next? Who is going to be the hero in this story? And then suddenly Jesus pulls the rug out from under them and says, a Samaritan. What? A Samaritan? That is the last person that they expected to come this way and certainly the last person that they expected to be a hero in the story and yet Jesus tells us that it is a Samaritan. It is someone that the Jews hated. It is someone that the Jews thought of as being like a dog. And Jesus makes him the hero of the story. Jesus tells us that this Samaritan is on a journey. 
He has purpose. Maybe it's a business trip that he is on, but there is purpose in his mission. And when this Samaritan rounds that same curve and sees that bleeding, dying man, the Bible tells us that he had compassion on him. He didn't just stop and feel sorry for him. It's not pity from that standpoint. It is compassion that he shows action and does something to meet the needs of that man. And we see that explained in a great way here. But more than that, something that I think we often overlook when we read this story is that not only does he have compassion, but he moves from sympathy to empathy. He empathizes with this hurt man because the Samaritan has been there. He knows what it is like for all of his life. Maybe he hasn't been beaten up on the highway, but for all of his life, he has been treated like a dog. And so when he comes on this bleeding, dying man, he responds. Years ago, Ken Miedema had a little song that represented this well. And it went something like this. Friend, you need a hand. I understand. And I'll do what I can cause I know how you've been hurt. I know what it's like to be treated like dirt and like you. I've suffered wrong. Hate is so strong. Please let me help you along. Here's my hand. I understand. I'll do what I can. And that's exactly what he did. He springs into action. Jesus tells us that he pours oil into the wounds to clean those wounds. He pours wine in there to fight off the infection that is occurring. He begins to rip up his own robe and make bandages to bandage the wounds of this man. He picks him up. He puts him on his own donkey and the Samaritan walks to the inn. How far we do not know. But he doesn't just stop there. He stays up all night taking care of this perfect stranger and nursing him back to health. But he has business to take care of. He's got to hit the road the next morning. And so he says to the clerk at the hotel, take care of my friend. Make sure that he gets well and strong. And here are two silver coins to, to pay you for your trouble. Some versions say two denarii. Now a denarius, a single denarius, was the equivalent of a day's pay. So let's put this in perspective. Let's say your day's pay. How much, how much money do you make a day? Two days pay is what he is giving this clerk for a perfect stranger. Or let's put it into perspective a different way. 
I have also read that a denarius would pay for a month's lodging in an inn. So let's say that you're that Samaritan and you're going to help this hurting person and you put them up in an inexpensive hotel today and for easy math, let's just say it costs you $50 a night and you're paying for 60 nights lodging. How much money is that? $3,000 that he is paying for this man. Do you see what... What we're talking about right here, would you note on your outline, the Samaritan did more than a minimum. He did far more than a minimum. And yet in our lives, we're guilty of doing a teeny tiny thing to help someone. And then we break our arms off to pat ourselves on the back. You see, my friends, the priest and the Levite saw a problem to address. But the Samaritan saw a person with a need to be met. And that brings us to the challenge here in closing. Verse 36, Jesus says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do Likewise, you know, when you read between the lines, you can see that this lawyer cannot bring himself to say the Samaritan. And in fact, you can almost hear him choking as he's asked this question. <clears throat> the, 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 the one who showed mercy. <laughs> and Jesus tells him to go and do Likewise. Many, many years ago, when I was a young man, I attended a chapel service at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest. At that chapel service, the president was Dr. Randall Lolly. He was president at the time, and he was also the speaker in the chapel service. And Dr. Lolly preached from this passage of Scripture, and he used these attitudes that are expressed in the story. And I've never forgotten what he said. He said that there is the attitude of the robbers and that is what's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. And they did just that. And then there's the attitude of the priest and the Levite. What's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. And then there's the attitude of the Samaritan. What's mine is yours and I'm going to share it. And so here is the application point, my friend. Which attitude is yours? Because in order to love your neighbor, you have to be a neighbor. And just as Jesus told this smarty pants lawyer, he says the same to each and every one of us today. Go and do Likewise, let's pray together. Father, how we thank you for the truth of your word this morning. And we pray that your spirit would move in this room in a very special way right now. For hearts that need to change, we ask that you would bring about that change and that they would be receptive to your movement in their lives. Perhaps there's someone here that needs eternal life. 
And we pray that you would give them the courage to step forward this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.